Hello and welcome to Mega City Book Club, the podcast all about the galaxy's greatest comic 2000 AD, along with several other British comics along the way. Uh, I'm Eamon Clark. This is the first episode of 2020, so Happy New Year, and it's a warm welcome return to the book club. All the way back from episode 29, Nemesis, the Gothic Empire, it's Luke Williams. Welcome back, Luke. Uh, Thank you, Eamon, and Happy New Year, everybody. Yes, well, it's great. So... Obviously, the Gothic Empire, uh, by uh, with art by Brian Tolbert, is going to be relevant to what we're talking about. Before yeah. we get to today's book, uh, I usually ask returning guests about any recent 2018 news or any recent acquisitions of your own that's been added to the collection, or just something good that you've read recently. Anything sort of like uh, across the radar? Um, the, the the most recent thing probably is I, I've sort of become obsessed with 2000D badges. Oh right, okay. And I'm buying, I'm buying quite a few from Planet Replicas. Yes, um, they do lovelies. Yeah, luckily my in my for my birthday I had a couple of dread badges, um, but I bought the um, there's a vinyl Strontium Dog one, which I which I don't know I've sort of in, um, impulsively bought the, a couple of weeks back, so that's now sitting um, close to where this the book we're going to talk about today is stored. Um, but also, of course, like everybody else by now, I would hope if I got my subscriber badge. Oh, yes. So you've now got the Squack Stick Thargo badge. Yeah, which I, I don't think I wear. I think I'll just add it to my sort of little um, bit of cloth I've got where I should have all my badges. Um, but I've got a um, – what else did I buy? Oh, I, no, I, my, <laughs> my dad bought me um, Bagman, you know, the actual oh, the rucksack. Bag, Bagman, yep. um, which, again, is hanging on a wall in – in one of my in the spare room now that the kids have left. Um, so uh, that's quite cool. I'm never going to use that though because I, I can imagine I'm going to damage it. Um, other than that, um, the only other thing is that I've got this teetering um, column of um, Ultimate the Ultimate Collections next to the bed, <laughs> which I'm trying to work my way through and I'm sort of picking up as I go. And I'm afraid it's going to fall over and squish the cat shortly. Um, but um, no, I mean the, the the most recent thing I think I've been impressed with reading, uh, apart from rereading what we're going to discuss today, is um, the new Hellblazer. Oh, of course, yes, Cyspuria. Yeah, yeah I, I was so pleased to see that back and and in the hands of somebody who I'm pretty confident can do a lot with it and very good with it. So very good stuff with it. Excellent stuff. Great. Well, let's get to it. Uh, tell us, what is the book for this episode of The Book Club, please, Luke? Uh, the book today is Alice in Sunderland by Brian Talbot and contributors. Wow. OK, so I think we've both got in front of us a wonderful, very large hardback edition. Uh, yeah. Which I think dates back to 2007 publication date. Yeah. Um, as you say, it is Alice in Sunderland an Entertainment by Brian Talbot. But there's lots of other uh, contributors. There's a long list of sort of um, contributors and and people who helped with the project at the back of the book. The one, yeah. the what I mean, one name I'm going to mention obviously is the legendary sort of Leo Baxendale is in here. Um, yeah. Interestingly, it's got a cover by Jordan Smith, which is a sort of uh, composite cover, and we'll talk about the artwork inside the book later on. Um, I think back in episode 34, a couple of episodes after yours, I had Owen Watson talking about The Tale of One Bad Rat, uh, obviously also by Brian Talbot, and we mentioned Alice in Sunderland, and you sort of, I think you put your hand up for it straight away. Yeah. (laughs) Tell us about how you, before we get into what it is, tell us about how you discovered this book uh, and why you picked it for the book club. (sighs) Basically, I'm a, I'm a big Brian Talbot fan anyway. Um, I'll follow, I'll, I'll, I sort of follow him about whatever he's doing. There's, there's only a few exceptions when I haven't done something and I haven't picked up anything by him. And usually that's something that isn't his own personal vision for on a better term. Um, so this, um, anything he does, I'll say indie, but this is published by Jonathan Cape, which is quite a big, uh, it's quite a big publisher, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. Uh, He's uh, anything he does from it off his own back, if you like, off his own back, um, from his own imagination. Now he's got his own unique vision. There, I'll, I'll, I'll basically pick it up. Um, he dips into the mainstream occasionally, 
Um, but he seems happier doing these left field projects, or at least the comics they're left field. Yeah, um, yeah you know, it's like, um, I mean, the, the, the classic, the one he's mainly known for, apart from Nemesis, is uh, Luther Arkwright, um, which, um, spoiler, well, we'll come on to later, but I imagine, but um, the th- he's currently drawing the third book. Yes. Um, he's a busy man, um, and he's done things like Gronville, uh, which is definitely worth picking up. Um, and he, he's also done some work um, under pseudonym of um, Ver- Veronique Tanaka. Um, he did a book called Metronome, which is a, a short book, but it's silent. There's no um, dialogue in it. All right. And um, that's a good book. That's a, that's a good book worth picking up. I mean, um, you probably get it fairly cheaply, cheaply these days. But I like to think of him as, um, sounds a bit pretentious, but I think he's an auteur. He works to trying to stretch the boundaries of the medium. He, he clearly loves comics, um, so anything that um, he can, anything he does, basically, I'll, I'll sort of seek out. Um, as a as a book, um, it's very difficult to summarize, as we'll see now. Okay. Um, it's in- <laughs> Here we go. <laughs> exactly. It's incredibly ambitious. I think it's sprawling, but it's fascinating with it. It it. I mean, from the title, it sounds like it focuses on two two subjects, as broad as they are. But, I mean, it he encompasses loads of other different things. He goes down um, loads of different rabbit holes. There we um, go. Yeah, I had to get that in somewhere along the line. <laughs> um, but, I mean, I, for me, it's essential for anyone who's even got a passing interest in, in British culture or British history. Yes, it is a fantastic historical book in a way as well, isn't it? Mm-hmm. So attempt to sort of tell us what Brian Tolbert uh, uh, takes on in this book. Um, you've mentioned, you know, Alice in Wonderland. You mentioned Sunderland. Tell us about some of his, um, you know, subjects of interest for it. Well, when I read it, when we read it for the, for this um, discussion, um, it sort of came to me that it's it's almost like a three hundred page, three hundred plus page game of six degrees of separation. Um, he uses three versions of himself to relate a history of the Northeast, which at the time, um, that's where Brian Tolbert was living in. He, he's originally from Wigan. Um, but both factual and mythological. So he'll bring in things like um, the uh, how Sunderland was founded, um, the sort of religious history of Sunderland, the industrial re- history of um, Sunderland, uh, and, a, and a biography he sort of dovetails that with a biography of Charles Lutwidge Dodson, who is Lewis Carroll. Yes. Uh, and there's a history of the different interpretations of Alice, um, that the fictional character, a, a sort of, he touches on what happened with Alice Little, between Alice Little and Lewis Carroll. Alice Little, who is um, Alice in Wonderland is based on, the character Alice in Wonderland is based on. And um, different interpretations of Alice and, and British culture as a whole, because we get cameos from lots of different cultural icons, I'd say, from, um, from, from British, um, British entertainment. Hence the, as for me, hence the, type, the subtitle, The Unentertainment. Yes. OK, so you've mentioned his, that Brian Tolbert himself appears in the book in several different uh, formats or several different sort of characters. Just give us the sort of framing device that sort of starts the book and the way he tells the story throughout the book. It's very clever. I mean, he, he starts it in Sunderland, in the Sunderland Empire um, Theatre. Um, but the book, book opens with some um, roughs of a guy walking down the street, who, as it turns out, is one of Brian Talbot's alter egos, uh, who's referred to as the plebeian. And as he gets closer and closer to the um, theatre and he gets into the theatre, the uh, art becomes um, fully rendered more com- um, um, and, com- and completed. Um, and then you have the so you have the plebeian who is sitting there on his own in the theatre, basically to be entertained. And then you have the performer comes on who is the second of Brian Talbot's alter egos, um, who is... There, we're introducing the more um, playful elements of the book. And he's the one who actually starts kicking off the story. He begins bringing in all the um, 
the entertainment aspects of the book. So he you can, he concentrates more on well the, the the book starts with the history of the Sunderland Empire and the people who performed there, um, and um, the the um, yeah the sort of the history the people who performed there um, and how successful it was at one time um, and how how important it is to. British entertainment history. Now, not just um, from everything. I mean, from um, I think they said that Laurel and Hardy appeared there. Sid James was on on stage there, and it, it it he sort of brings it round to relevance, if you like, because there's a mention of a, an Alison Sunderland play that was going to be staged there. That was staged there. That um, sort of didn't do very well and died quite quickly. Um, so the, basically, the performer is is sort of giving you the history of the entertainment. Plebeian is there, sort of mocks him, uh, reigns in the excesses of the performer, and then finally, a, a short while after that, you get introduced to the pilgrim, who actually take you to on a tour of the northeast landmark, northeast's landmarks, and sites of significant events. Um, yeah, so basically, that's how it starts, and then using that as a spring, using the empire as a springboard. Talbot begins a history spinning out into the history of British entertainment as a whole, as, as I've already said. Um, thereby, he brings in Alice, the character from Wonderland and Looking Glass, Alice Liddell, who was um, the inspiration for the character, and Lewis Carroll and their relationship. And surprisingly, they're very strong ties to the Northeast, because um, largely, I think, people have uh, assumed that um, Lewis Carroll is mainly based in Oxford, but what Brian Talbot has uh, researched is that no, both families are very, very strong ties to the Northeast. Uh, Carol spent a lot of time in the area, uh, despite being mainly associated with Oxford. And Talbot argues they should really be associated with the Northeast more than Oxford. Um, and Alice Little's family are traced back to Sunderland. There are places and events linked to, uh, linked to Carol. Little and I give an op- gives Talbot an, an opportunity to explore the rich and fascinating history of the Northeast, uh, encompassing the founding of Sunderland, its growth as a religious and academic centre, um, and significant events like the arrival of cholera, uh, the English Civil War, which comes back and forth quite a bit, the shipping boom, and the, um, the origin of the uh, term Mackhams, its development as an industrial centre, its decline and rebirth as a cult- its decline as an industrial centre and its rebirth as a cultural centre, uh, and as the pilgrim interviews the artists and writers that have worked at revitalising dilapidated areas of the city, um, he just doesn't stop there. Um, he he sort of starts going off again, again in rabbit holes, going off and off, off on tangents. Um, there's a there's a brief history, for example, in there of 19th century serial killers. He takes us through the. Um, yeah, like I say, he mentioned about Mackhams. He um, also gives the history of terms such as Nina Colors to the Mast, where that came from, and that originates from a from a resident of Sunderland. Sunderland hero, yes, Jack Crawford. Jack Crawford, yeah, yeah. And the uh, Burke and Hare, the Body Snatchers, uh, they make an appearance. Vikings make an appearance. Um, the Crusades uh, feature significantly in the um, in the history of Sunderland. And he has, he has a complete and beautiful retelling of the legend of the Lamp, Lampton Worm, um, which resonates with me because uh, as a child, my parents bought me a, a book on monsters. Oh, right. And um, I always remember there's there's one particular picture in there. It's only a half a page, but there's a picture of um, the, uh, I've forgotten the name of the knight now, gone. but the, the knight fighting the Lampton Worm. And it's, very, it's quite gory and bloody, really. Yes. But that sort of sticks in my, sticks in my mind. Um, and the, what he basically does is that, that little paragraph I read as a child, he's expanding on it. And, well, he's he just done what Brian Talbot does best, which is just makes it a full-page, beautiful-looking strip. But that's a complete strip within the book. And that and that's the sort of thing he, he does. He, he goes off on tangents. He'll give you an explanation and a history on, on one thing. And then he'll... He'll bring you right back round, back to um, Carol Sunderland itself, or Alice, Alice and Alice Little. Uh, he covers literary and art history and comics, 
He takes in Hogarth, um, you know, the, the famous Jin Ali um, picture. Yeah. The Bayou Tapestry. Ali Sloper, um, one of the earliest British comic characters. Brian Talbot's own uh, beginnings in the comic industry. And as you said, he's got a special, there's a special page in there, guest spot by Leo Baxendale. Who contrib- contributes in the complete page. Um, so, so there are frequent digressions. Um, um, it does, and he does, again, as I say, he does take it down lots of rabbit holes. But he managed to link each of the threads back to the core topics of Alice, Carol, and Sunderland. Um, there's even a complete interpretation of Jabberwocky in there. Yes, he does his own version of Jabberwocky, which is a, a beautiful thing to behold, isn't it? Oh, it's fantastic. I, it, uh, yeah, I, again, it, my favourite Brian Tobin art style is Ween just as black and white. His colour stuff's amazing as well. It's black and white stuff, and the Jabberwocky pages are lovely. I mean, what Brian, we're cutting a very long story short. What um, Brian Talbot considers is that Alison in Wonderland and Alison Through the Looking Glass, he thinks as um, books, they sort of pervade our culture. And he sort of illustrates the um, influence they have through our culture, through music, comics, novels, films, general entertainment. Everyone from John Lennon and The Shadows and, you know, right through to underground comics and, and obviously then Brian Talbot himself. It's utterly fantastic and fantastical as a, uh, as a book. Um, before we get into too much of the art stuff, which I'm going to ask you about in a few moments, I'm just going to mention from early on in the book, uh, you know, as you say, we've got this framing device of the Sunderland Empire Theatre and the plebeian in the audience, the performer on stage. And we get a couple of other characters because the Empire Theatre is supposedly haunted by the ghost of Sid James, which is fantastic. But also there's a white lady because, I mean, a white lady ghost is a um, fairly common, you know, sighting at many a famous uh, building. And the two characters in black and white crop up throughout the book from time to time. Um, usually to comment on the story that's been told and drag us back to the theatre for a while. Um, So that's fantastic. And then I'm just looking at page 26, where we see the performer being drawn on the page in black and white, and then the camera, as it were, pulls back in black and white artwork, and we see Brian Talbot, as you say, about to become the Pilgrim character at his drawing board, and he turns and looks out of us, takes off his glasses, and then walks off into the story and into the history and tells us the rest of the book. And it's just, I thought, a fantastic device, um, the way he's done this. He's framed it and the way he weaves these various versions of himself throughout the book. Yeah, because, of course, I mean, he again then appears as himself um, with a cameo from um, his wife Mary Talbot, who's, who's also a comic creator. Uh, later in the book as well, isn't it? Because they, um, without spoilers, they you can see them walking away from the theatre or that... They've been at the theatre and he's supposedly fallen asleep and had a dream. Yeah, so, uh, and there's a dream sequence as well where he seems to wake up and he's wondering whether he's, all of this, what he's doing, is a dream. Um, yeah, it becomes... It's complex without being convoluted and it's... Um, he, he sort of refers, constantly referring back to other things he's done in the book. Um it's 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 very 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 clever. I don't I really don't know how he plotted it all out to be honest. Yes, how he kept it all together. The, yeah, uh, the flowcharts and the um, you know the the linked sticky notes on the wall that he must have had, um, linking all the bits of the story together. It's just fantastic. Well, when you when you consider it's um, I say three hundred pages. It's like three hundred eighteen, I think, altogether, um, and it's almost. He has got contributors. He has got people helping him, providing um, script. Some are um, art assistant, not some art assistant, art assistants and all the rest. But it's his vision, and it's it's a it's a mammoth undertaking. It's huge, you know. It's it, and to be sold as one volume. I mean, it could only work as one volume, um, but it's is an amazing thing. It is a huge book, um, as you say, in large format, three hundred eighteen pages. Let's turn for a moment then to the artwork, because you've hinted that his black and white line work, of which there's plenty in this book, 
is mm. your favourite. And it's perhaps, of course, you know, for 2000 AD readers, it's what we're most familiar with from uh, Nemesis and, you know, um, a few other bits and pieces, Judge Dredd in the Diceman comic and so on. Yeah. But he d- he's doing lots of different things in this book. Talk about some of the different artistic styles and, I suppose, media that he's using. As you said, he's he does a lot of just his, a lot of his lane work, um, and usually that's involving um, real characters. So the real the real characters always the, sorry the, the narrators, the narrative characters, um, like they say the the, the plebeian, the performer, and, and um, the pilgrim, they'll always be in black and white. But then the the rest of the page, if he's de- particularly if he's de- detailing um, a history or something, will be in, in be rich and vibrant. Um, he doesn't his his layouts are they just sort of flow into each other. There's 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 a definite structure, but there's there's no panels as such. A lot of the pages, I mean, it depends on um, what story he's telling. So, for example, um, if he goes into um, when he's starting to go into the um, stories about uh, the lantern worm, that would be a more conventional comic strip. But the, when he's when he's taking a tour down um, the river, for example, um, it'll just be uh, almost like he'll he'll use a photographic, not photographic reference. He will use photographs to illustrate the point he's trying to make. Um, but he'll combine that then with. The line work of of him as the pilgrim. Um, he's got there's recreations of famous artworks in there from Bayeux Tapestry. Um, there's obviously cop, um, recreate I'm not creations, but uh, he reproduces the artwork for the Lewis Carroll books from John Tenniel's work. Um, but he mixes photographs and paints and the art styles to suit. So um, when he touches on um, the history of comics, for example. Um, he'll he'll adopt um, uh, I think it's called Claire Lagoon style which is like this clear line style almost like a Hergé thing then he'll sort of go into something else as he's talking about another aspect so he'll he'll change style and he'll change um, the kind of media he uses to portray the story depending on the type of story he he does Um, I mean he's moved on a lot from the dense cross-hatching and shadowing of Nemesis and the early Luther Arkwright. Um, his, line, his, his line work now is, is more, uh, it's, not, it's not dense. It's, it's, not, it's, not, it's not necessarily better or anything, it's just a different style. Um, but yeah, but I say it, it shifts and he changes his style to match, his, um, to, to match the story he's telling. So if you look at the um, <laughs> adaptation of Henry VIII, he, Henry V, sorry, yeah. he's got it yeah. there as well. That's actually quite cartoony for him. Yes. Then when you go into Jabberwocky, then he starts bringing a lot more of the cross-hatching again. And then when you go through to his Lambton Worm stuff, um, right towards the end of the book, um, that's more like the work you see in um, Heart of Empire or his more recent work with, with uh, Mary Talbot. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's just a... It's, it's, again, it's, it's just incredibly ambitious. The, 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 the different styles and media he's used um to create what is ultimately just a, is a, it's a gorgeous book i mean a, a, a digital edition wouldn't do it justice i don't think no there is a digital but i think this is one where you want the hardback because it's such a beauty i mean i've i've said this before on the podcast i've often noted that brian tolbert seems to change his style for whatever particular project he's working on but in this one he does it all he recreates famous artists or as you say famous pieces of artwork he links in these things as you've mentioned like the Bayo tapestry and hogarth's gin alley into mm. the history of sort of um pictorial representation and comic books um he changes to color art there's a couple of pages where he does a wonderful recreation of a tintin um style yeah. um, as you say he then does that british comics like a british horror comic um, to tell a ghost story, uh, the marvelous recreation of the legend of the Lampton Worm, and the you know which is almost like a black and white superhero story with the the knight donning his armor, his spiked armor, uh, yeah, which I think is what 
was depicted in that famous rather bloody picture from the Monsters book that um, That's right, yeah, yeah. <laughs> terrified us all as kids. Um, and then, of course, there's his recreation of Tennille's artwork from Alice in Wonderland and Alice Through the Looking Glass. And it's just marvellous. This book is sprawling epic of a book. And the styles, the multimedia, the, the photographs, the colour, the black and white, it's all there, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I mean, there the are occasions when he adopted, as you say, you, you mentioned the, the Tintin one again, but he sort of, you, you see cameos of characters in there as well. You see the um, cameo teacher from Battery Kids early on, and he sort of uh, adopts a bit of a Leo Baxendale style for that. You can see characters popping up from other comic strips as well. And to give them justice, he, he just, uh, like Andy Cap pops up as a, as a little cameo, doesn't he? Because he's yes. referred to him. Um, and he he changes his style to sort of um, bring that in properly, you know, bring the, to, to do that character justice. Um, I, I, it'd be fascinating to find out how long it took him to do it because it's, 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 a, it's a big book. Well, <laughs> it's a I mean... Book. At the back of the book, of course, he deals with all his acknowledgements, he deals with all his thanks, and there's a glossary, or rather, a, uh, I think a bibliography, rather, of sources that he's used yeah, for his yeah. history of, of Alice, British history, Sunderland, Northeast history, and so on. Um, I was interested that on the good side, he thanks, obviously, his partner, Dr. Mary Tolbert, um, who was able to partly finance and support the project, and then there's also the note that the book, oh. the book was produced with absolutely no help whatsoever from the Newcastle-based Arts Council England of North East, who turned down the grant application for a Sunderland-based book. Yeah, that that that's a bit of a yeah, it's a bit of a slap, isn't it? Yes, it is. <laughs> and actually, I, I, you know, with the finished project, this this you know, to me, I think they made the wrong decision. They should have supported this book. Well, yeah. Absolutely. I mean, why? Why wouldn't you? I mean, it. it you know, if if they're doing, if they're spending all this time, um, at, again during the book, he's got these sequences where they're going down the um, docks where the shipbuilding firms were once, once were, and he's being escorted. The the pilgrim is being escorted by an artist and a writer who've got a who've got a credit in the book. Yes. Um, and they're talking about the. Um, what they're trying to do with sort of the dilapidated areas of Sunderland and, and bringing the area up by sort of like public works of art and that sort of thing. I mean, isn't this, this, this scene would fit this would seem to fit in with that. So I really don't understand why it, it seems a bit strange that then that they would not help fund this book. I mean, this, this must have, I mean, I'd be interested to see if he actually made any money on it, which sounds a bit, uh, mercenary, but I think I don't think that was the point. I think he just he wanted to tell the story, um, and he did it without that. You know, he without official government, without uh, official government help or uh, grant aid. Yes, I mean, fair play to him for doing it and finish it because, as you say, this is an epic. This must have taken him a long time when he could have been um, presumably drawing pages for. Batman, The Legends of the Dark Knight, or whatever it was he was doing from time to time. Um, yeah. You know, stuff that pays much better than this. But this is just fantastic. When you, when you, look, yeah, when you look at the back, um, there's, there's, as you say about the credits, after the credits page, there's uh, two pages just on his sources. Yeah. yeah. Which is, you know, I, <laughs> you know, I, I, I think my degree, <laughs> my degree, when I did my dissertation, I think it was like half a page. <laughs> It was anywhere near like this. Um, and it's a history <laughs> of, yeah, yeah, the research, as you say, the history of Sunderland, the Northeast, uh, an artistic history, a cultural history, uh, political history. It's just phenomenal. And you'd have thought it would be the sort of thing that the Art Ca Arts Council would um, support, but maybe the sort of comic book aspect of it uh, deterred them. Um, thankfully, Brian Tolbert is... Uh, I guess he's one of the sort of leading British proponents of actually making uh, comic book and comic book art a um, an important medium. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Um, because the other thing we mentioned, of course, his partner, Dr. Mary Tolbert, she, with her, he wrote and drew Daughter of My Father's Eye about um, 
James Joyce's daughter, and that I think won the Costa Biography Prize that year. Um, oh. So you know that that put it into the mainstream, and it was a fabulous book. But this book, Alice in Sunderland, and the artwork in there, um, and as you say, when he you know he tells the story of local hero Jack Crawford, and he does it in the style of a sort of what looks like a Victorian almost you know pamphlet type comic. Um, yeah, you've mentioned Henry V's in there, done as a sort of British cartoon in a way with lots of exaggeration. And then in the middle, of course, there is, in fact, the Jabberwocky, uh, the poem of the Jabberwocky depicted by Brian Tolbert in black and white. And as you've said already, that is one of the most fantastic things in this book, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, it's absolutely fantastic. He's, um, yeah, again, it's 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 not just, it's the hours of research. It's he, He's obviously thought it through how he's going to, do it, but I thought how he's going to um, portray it on the page. Um, but he must have, it must have taken a lot of planning just to work out right. Okay, I'm going to change my style to do to reflect this. I'm going to change my style to reflect that. And it, and also, it'd be interesting to see what he decided he needed to leave out, um, because uh, clearly he had he's, he's had plenty of material to to create the book, um, and it, he's, it's just a, it's just a fascinating journey. Um, it's it's very very difficult to find to um, encompass in a, in a like a like a sentence. It's just difficult to um, give it a USP, unique selling point, if you like. Uh, other than it's just the way he described it as an entertainment is is perfect because it just encompasses so many different things, and you can it's so rich and absorbing and rewarding. Everything it it, it, it it's not. Um, uh, didactic is it doesn't sort of tell you something it's not it's not it's not a rant it's not a um it's not a lecture or anything it's just a, a gentle ramble almost certainly sometimes bloody and quite sometimes quite horrible um through british history and, and but british british cultural history yes it's absolutely fantastic now it is it must be one of the sort of, you know, greatest achievements in British comic book or pictorial storytelling. Um, and you've sort of, you know, we, you've mentioned this a moment ago. We sort of talked about it before we started recording. Because one of the things when I reread it this time was I was thinking, why doesn't Alice in Sunderland get mentioned in the same sort of paragraphs or articles as things like Watchmen and Mouse and V for Vendetta and so on? And I guess you've sort of hinted as to why that might be. Yeah, I, I, I after after rereading it, I haven't read it for many years. Um, it was a bit dusty when I picked it up. Um, and I agree, I, I love it. I mean, it, it is one of the best. It was the most significant comics, and because it is a comic, it, it's a graphic novel. Yes, okay, but much as you want to fancy it up, it's essentially a comic, and there's nothing wrong with calling it a comic. Um, but it's so dense and so hard to describe. It's many things, and I just don't think it can be summarised like the other works. Like um, as you mentioned before the recording, um, Mouse is about Mouse is about the Holocaust, but an anthropomorphic version of it. Um, and Watchmen, it's about superheroes at the end of the world. Dark Knight is about Batman when he's old and he comes back. Um, Vendetta, which is quite topical right now. Um, there's you you can't summarise it. No. It's really, really difficult to summarise. It's some, something that's really difficult to sell. The only thing you can tell people, and whoever's listening to this, I mean, it, it, it really is just worth just sitting down and just reading it. I certainly can't do, I don't think I can do the book justice. But it's, it, I generally think it's a fantastic book. It is. Um, it is wonderful, yes. And do yourself a favour and get hold of it. It's a long read because there's so much information in there, so much history that he's packed in um, as his sort of story wanders, as you say, down rabbit holes, um, things that catch his attention and in a way he's telling that particular story. And it's, you know, it's a history of Alice in Wonderland, it's a history of Lewis Carroll, it's a history of the North East, a history of British comic books... 
there's you know myths and legends like the Lampton Worm in there. There's even, of course, a fair bit of Brian Talbot's sort of family history, his own family. Yeah. And, you know, starting with his gra- at his grandmother's knee and sort of bringing it back to his own grandchild at the end of the book which is lovely um, as well. So, yeah, it's just fascinating. It's absolutely fascinating. And although, you know, many of the pages are sort of multimedia, they're collages of pictures and images uh, and so on, but there's also, you know, lots of Brian Talbot artwork. And when I went to the very first lakes comic festival there was a because you know he and his wife were sort of patrons of the festival and they did have an exhibition and i do think i saw some of the pages there at the exhibition um and there are one or two pages i know up on comic art fans so they are they do exist um some of this work but a lot of it is i guess is is also multimedia composites as well yeah, I mean, it, uh, yeah, that's the thing. I mean, that becomes as uh, I mean, the, I think um, I know you like to click on comic art as well, and I do. And that's the sad thing about <laughs> digital comic art these days, isn't it? There's no um, hard, hard version of it for you to have, really. Um, as it happens, I, I looked before we got on the podcast. I had a look on his official website, um, and there were a couple of pages of Lampton Worm sequence for oh, sale right um but they've gone ah, um, too late yeah absolutely i mean on the upside um and i i will occasionally look at his at his official website um there's quite a few other pages there from some of his other works like heart of empire uh like daughter is my uh, father's eyes um and like that sort of stuff um but at the moment they're a little bit on my price range um but yeah he's he sell he sells his original art quite regularly, um, um, but yeah it's uh, yeah it's there's there's some there's some great stuff up there. There is there is some he he does still work on paper, um, but I think he, he he will do for this particularly. He obviously he did a lot of multimedia stuff, but there is still a lot of uh, there are some pages out there of his from from this, uh, and obviously clearly Lambton worm worm pages. Are in circulation somewhere online. Some, some lucky so and so's got them. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. So it is. It's a book that's difficult, as we've dis- as we've found, difficult to summarise. But it is such a wonderful thing. I mean, I'm just flicking through again, and I'm seeing Jack the Ripper's in there. The Frankenstein monster appears. Of course, Luther Luther Arkwright uh, makes an appearance himself. There's even a sort of uh, little cameo from famous sort of uh, understanding comics expert scott mcleod it's just fantastic um and i i mean i'm going to ask you about sort of favorite parts or favorite characters or favorite moments from it um were there any bits and pieces a bit you know particular chapters or uh, stories that really appealed to you well as you mentioned earlier i mean i i, I really liked his um I'm, I'm not a i'm not a big shakespeare fan necessarily but i really liked his interpretation of um henry v um i also really liked uh i, I loved his adaptation of um Lambton worm yes i thought that was absolutely fantastic uh, and again it sort of resonates with me from well, as a child anyway um but the history of comic art sequence i thought was absolutely fascinating again because um, I got I got an interest in it. I'm by no means an expert, but I got an interest in it. And it's just showing the development of through um, through the years. So you've got um, Hogarth, and he's essentially saying that Hogarth is where um, Hogarth is one of the earliest comic artists, as it were. You know, not just a an artist, but that's where that's where a lot of it stems from. And then he moves on to um, Later stuff like things like Ali Sloper and like that through the book, um, but yeah, if I had to pick one, I think it would probably be the Lambton Worm sequence. Okay, fantastic. I must I must give a little shout out to the uh, sort of framing characters because I did love it whenever the uh, plebeian in the audience, Sid James's ghost and the white lady turn up as sort of the uh, the Greek chorus to comment on what's going on. Uh, so Sid James, yeah, Sid he 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 does. Typical classic carry on St. James, isn't he? Yeah. He just laughs all the way through and stuff. He's very that's very clever. Yeah. It, it gives the book some levity, so it's not it's not hard it's not 
it's dense, but it's not necessarily, um, you're not being hit across the head with facts all the time. It's, but it sort of gives a little bit of light relief to it. It's, it's very well done. It's very clever. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, occasionally they, they pick him up, they sort of catch him and they say, but hang on a minute, you said. Yeah, dra- right, yeah. Drag him back <laughs> in, yeah. Um, it's fantastic, yeah. So I really love that. Um, okay, so it is a towering achievement. It's a big book. It's one that I think we highly recommend. Um, you know, we obviously we've talked about Brian Tolbert on Nemesis. If you want a straightforward um, story-based uh, Brian Tolbert, I guess it's the Taylor One Bad Rat or something like that. But for this complete history, this British history, this comic book history, this uh, myths and legends history, plus, as we've said, you know, Alice in Wonderland, Lewis Carroll um the inspiration for his books it's just it all in here isn't it fantastic stuff oh it's brilliant i, I really if you're if you're anywhere if, you, if you're a, a fan of comics comic art and everything else this is I, I think this is essential i think it's brilliant yes i think it is an essential for british comics uh fans particularly those who've got a history you know an interest in the history of the uh the, the medium itself uh, and its development so yeah if you've never heard of alice in, alice in sunderland do yourself a favor and have a look at a copy um and then you know dive in because there's so much content in there there's so much fascinating stuff that he's found and his research is but do yourself a favor get the hardback yeah. don't, don't don't bother with digital because the, it it's it, it it's gonna sound silly and if if these little things matter to you and they do to me it just looks really nice on the bookshelf as well it's just it's a really handsome volume it's a lovely looking book it is i mean we'll perhaps mention this when we do the prices it's about 19 pounds currently for the hardback um i think you know it was obviously it was a bit cheaper when we bought it back in 2007 8 or 9 whenever it was uh there's a 15 pound digital version but you're quite right this is one where we're going to say don't get the digital version get the hardback because it's so lovely i did a bit of hunting on some auction sites and i know that there are new versions available for all but 15 quid it's worth having a bit of a hunt right um so it's it's definitely because i uh, mine's not battered but i've damaged it once or twice little things and i'd sort of i'm i'm quite geeky about this sort of thing i like to have a pristine version of something so i was thinking about buying a new one um so yeah that if you have a bit of a hunt you might you might be able to get it a bit cheaper you'll find cheaper copies out there and do get (laughs) yourself one because they are fantastic okay so it's grail pages time luke so this is going to be tricky let's assume it's all available it all exists in physical form and that we've got the unlimited fantasy budget that the book club provides. Um, what are you going to choose from Alice in Sunderland to hang in your gallery? Well, uh-huh. it's one of three, I think. Okay. Now then, I'm going to cheat a little bit and say I, I, I'll pick one, yeah. but of the three, the three ones I was thinking about were cheating a bit, but I wouldn't, the Leo Baxendale page I'd have liked to have had. For a start, um, that's quite near it, the start of the book, I think, isn't it? Yeah, um, I can't remember. I've got to find it now. Um, but it, because purely because it's Leo Baxendale, um, so that would have been a nice one to have. Yeah. If I had to choose um, a Brian, if a Brian Tolbert one, it would be between the um, the splash page of the Jabberwocky on page one hundred twenty-four. When you go the Jabberwocky, um, I've been attacked by the our sort of hero. Yeah. Or um, one of the Lampton Worm pages, the uh, on page two hundred and thirty-eight, where the knight begins his attack on the Lampton Worm, or a knight begins his attack on the Lampton Worm. It's not the knight. Um, so uh, I think I'll probably go for the Lampton Worm page because that's just. There's more going on, and it's it's really for it's really foreboding. Right. Uh, really dark and creepy, and yeah, a bit gory in places too. <laughs> so there's the Lampton Worm page. Yeah, yep. got that. There's obviously the Jabberwocky page 124, which I did think was going to come up. Yeah, yeah. Um, and we'll also track down, and I'll post pictures of 
um, the Leah Baxendall page as well when I find it flicking through. So I will post images of these up on the Facebook and all the socials and the forum and so on so people can see what we're talking about. Um, yeah, fantastic. Right, we'll grant you all three. Oh, thank you very much. That's, that's allowed. You know, it's such a big book, so we'll grant you all three. Um, I was going to, I mean, I thought you would probably go for the Jabberwocky page. Um, yeah. So the full page of the Jabberwocky um, is just a glorious piece of artwork that would, that would look good on anybody's or any art gallery or museum's wall. But yes, yeah, so we'll grant you that one. So I'm instead, I'm going to turn right to the end of the book, almost to the very end. There is a two-page uh, splash, which is pages 314 and 15. I guess it's multimedia, but it's just got a bit of everything in there. There's Lewis Carroll, uh, oh, yeah. the White Knight. There's the, the performer character wearing his white rabbit uh, mask. There's the Hartlepool monkey that was hanged that they yeah. tell the story of. The Lampton worm is on the page. George Formby's there. So I would have that those that double page spread um, just because it's a glorious summation of everything that's gone before um, in this wonderful book. So yeah, it's lovely. Yeah. yeah. So there you go, Grail pages and Alice in Sunderland, and uh, you know, I, it's a I'm. I'm sure it's a double thumbs up from us here on the book club, Luke. Oh, it's, completely. It's yeah. a stunning book, really, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. I think so. Yeah. yeah. Amazing. If you've got any Christmas money left over and you never encountered it, get yourself a copy and settle in for a long and uh, dense read. But it's one that's really rewarding. Absolutely. Cool. Thank you so much. So, Luke, it's guest projects time. Um, are you still writing the potted histories on the Everything Comes Back to 2000 AD site? Yes. Um, the guys at ECBT um, um, sort of are very gracious and just let me put up what I want, really. Um, so the most recent one I've done is a two-parter on Finn. Oh, right, yes. The guy, the uh, character, Pat Mills and, well, Pat Mills and then Tony, Pat Mills and Tony Skinner character. Yeah. Hasn't appeared for... Gosh, when I looked, it was 20 years, I think it um, But um, there was a little resurgence in interest in him recently because um, Uncle Pat was um, pushing him and wondering why Rebellion hadn't reprinted his stories. So, um, yeah, I've done a little two-parter on that recently. Um, but I've, um, I'm going to be moving on to another character, characters fairly shortly, another strip fairly shortly. This is sort of planning What's making life easier with it is rather than going through all my old clogs, um, I'm just waiting for the ultimate collections to come out. <laughs> ah, right, okay. <laughs> well, all, all my clogs, I got, I got the complete round of 2018 in my attic, and of course, rifling through them is um, can take a bit of time. Um, so I'll, yeah, I'll be moving up to something else. I, I'm considering bad company at the moment, but that's going to be quite an interesting one to do. I'm also, um, so I'm grateful to ECBT for allowing me to put up potted histories and reviews and all the rest um but i'm also doing a, i've also done a, some writing for uh comic scene oh uh, yes of course yeah yeah i haven't done anything for a while yet now um but in the first volume i had some uh articles on 2008 related strips like martial law and rogue trooper um, but also other things like warren ellis's run on hellstorm crossed books of magic that sort of thing and Third World War, and Third World War, of course, which is going to be um, republished back in in uh, the new year. It's going to be out but, soon, yes. Yeah. And I'm also doing some work for, or have done some work for uh, Down the Tubes, John Freeman's website. Oh, right, lovely. Yeah. So I've done um, what I tend to do. If it's 2000 AD wise, I'll stick it to. I'll put it on ECBT. If it, if I can't sort of, if it, if it's not 2000 AD then I'll offer it to down the tubes and offer it to John. Um, so I've had, I put had articles on there on, um, things like blast, which was one of the adult comics of the nineties. And anybody remembers it, um, which is quite a good, it was a mixture of American reprint and original strips. So you got people like Simon Bisley and Paul Chadwick and, um, uh, people like that, uh, contributing to it. Um, I've done an article on, um, an artist I think is overlooked, uh, Chuckle Jerry Paris. Okay. Uh, he's um, mainly did work for Marvel UK, 
Um, but he did a strip called The Bug Hunters in computer and video games. Uh, for those of us who are old, I am. Um, and I did a little article on that. Um, and I've just been doing some reviews for that. And plus, oh, there was an article on Battle Action Force, which oh, basically, yeah, which was basically my springboard to um, to 2008. That's when I encountered people like John Cooper, Jerry Finley Day, Pat Mills, um, Tom Tully. Originally, and then you sort of went on. And that's what sort of drew me into 2008. Then when I sort of uh, looking for something a little bit more sophisticated. Um, so yeah, I'm still still sort of still writing, and um, whoever basically will publish my stuff eventually. Excellent. I don't have the time to do it. Well, I, I certainly will link to your stuff on ECBT and also on uh, John Freeman's Down the Tubes. And I'd forgotten that you were writing for Comic Scene Magazine, which is a marvelous publication um, that I've I've subscribed to. I'm just, I think the the latest issue will be out shortly. Um, the one I think with the uh, the vote of the year or the year's best comics yeah. awards I'm, in there. To be fair, I haven't been in it for a while, but it was mean. Uh, the work I did was mainly in volume one. Right. But um, I believe, from memory, I think a lot of that is online. I think it's for f- you can watch it, read it for free. Um, so it might be worth having a look out for that. I think that's right anyway. Okay, if there's a link, I will find it and I will put it up in the show notes for this episode. There we are, okay. Fantastic, Luke. Well, that's been marvellous. I mean, you know, uh, what a book. Yeah, <laughs> what absolutely. A, absolute, yeah, stonker of a book. Um, I've just literally to open the page where it's got, of course, a 2000 AD cover on the front on the page as well. Uh, oh, yeah. Everything's in here. Uh, it's just amazing. So, yeah, Alice in Sunderland. And uh, I look forward to hopefully getting you back on the book club at some point in the future, maybe for... Uh, more Brian Tolbert or maybe something else we shall see okay great thanks thanks Eamon thanks for your time no thank you for doing it Luke I'm always appreciated when people give up their time to do this especially so near to Christmas uh, as we're all getting busy (laughs) oh sorry that's my dog And as the dog joins us for the final chorus, uh, thank you to everyone for listening to Mega City Book Club. Find out everything you need to know at megacitybookclub.com, including uh, links to all of Luke's work. Uh, I'll put up all the links there as well. So that'll do us. Until next time on Mega City Book Club, when we're passing judgment on another fine book. Uh, it's a big, uh, hearty, northeastern goodbye from me and. Goodbye from me. 